Acts chapter 28, verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. So they land, and they swim to the island, and they find out the name of its Malta. It's located south of Italy. They've been battling the storms for hundreds of miles, and now they were safely on land. But the ship and all the cargo had been lost. Verse 2. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. So imagine how cold those who were on the ship were when they got out of the water, and now it starts to rain. Verse 3. When Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So notice who's serving. It's Paul. After all that time on the ocean with little food, miserable, cold, and probably pretty annoyed that they didn't take his advice and not sail when they did, Paul is out serving. And he could have easily said, look, it's because of me that you're here. But instead, he serves because that's what followers of Jesus do. Good lesson for us and a good witness to those who are on the ship. I wonder if any of the passengers on that ship will be in heaven as a result of Paul's witness. I bet there will be, other than his traveling companions. And now in the cold, Paul finds a snake wrapping its cold self around his hand. And instead of getting scared, he probably gets really annoyed. After all that I've just been through, now there's a snake on my arm? Verse 4, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, though he escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. So the natives look at this from a superstitious perspective, believing that the snake is a divine judgment upon Paul for whatever crime he was guilty of, and they assumed he was going to die pretty quick. And we need to remember, despite the ship being totally destroyed, all the passengers, including the Roman guards, made it to shore. They would have likely gathered up all the prisoners immediately and established some form of custody, keeping them all close by. And the natives may have caught on to this and assumed that Paul was a serious criminal. Verse 5, however, he shook the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. So he flung that snake in the fire and he apparently didn't get bit. Verse 6, they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, they saw no misfortune come to him. They changed their minds and said that he was a god. The natives, they waited and watched for Paul to suffer the effects from the snake. But when nothing happened, they're like, oh my gosh, he's some kind of god or something. And in this time, there was a god for everything. So considering Paul a god would have been something that wouldn't have been too far-fetched for the minds of these people. Verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. So another divine appointment for Paul. You know, life for Paul must have been so interesting. He's simply going through life following the leading of the Holy Spirit and is led constantly into places where he could not imagine he would be. Now he finds himself a guest at the chief's house on the island of Malta. Verse 8. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. Hey, look, someone needs a miracle. What a coincidence. If you look at the King James Version, the one that was written in the 1600s, it can be kind of funny at times to see words that they used back then, then compare them to today. For example, we understand dysentery is a terrible condition, apparently caused by a parasite that affects the bowels horribly. The King James refers to the condition as bloody flux. Maybe that helps understand the condition or makes it more confusing. Regardless, this condition is horrible, and the man showing hospitality is watching his father suffer from it. Remember, Luke is with Paul, and he was a physician, so he diagnoses the condition. And Paul lays his hands on him, prays for the man, and the man's healed. You know, it's one thing to be healed from lame feet or something like that, but man, when you're suffering in that way, you just want to die. God's mercy and grace poured out on him. Verse 9, And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases came forward and were cured. So 
Paul's opportunity for impacting the island blossoms as the Holy Spirit moves through him again to heal those who were sick. Imagine that Publius' father, now well, how he would feel being rid of that terrible condition along with other people on the island. Verse 10, They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So another moment where God takes care of them. Now God takes them to a strange place, and people believe, and Paul is blessed. What would have happened if Paul would have slumped into a deep depression after the shipwreck and just kind of went numb? He could probably justify it from all the garbage that he'd been through, but he keeps on persevering. And he would write in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 3, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that process of suffering all the way to hope, if we hang in there, we'll see the same thing happen. But if we give up and we become discouraged and our faith begins to slip, then that hope begins to fade. And there's no reason for that. That's why we need to hang on to Jesus with all we've got, because we don't know when things are going to go south for us. But when they do, guess what? The Holy Spirit's there, still doing his work. Verse 11, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. So they've been hanging out on Malta for three months. And look online at pictures of Malta and see the land that Paul and the others swam for their lives to is pretty interesting. And in Paul's day, some ships had gods carved into the ship. The heavenly twins were gods of the sea, and their names were Castor and Pollux. And the ship was from Alexandria, Egypt, a big city in these days. Verse 12, putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. Verse 13, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Agium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putoli. Verse 14, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. So Paul's journey to Rome is complete. He's now in the city. Verse 15, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as the forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. So the believers in Rome heard that Paul had arrived, and many of them traveled far to see him. What an encouragement this had to have been, seeing these people there. He was coming to Rome not knowing what to expect. And when he got there, he found brothers and sisters in the faith. God was already ahead of him doing the work. We need to keep that in mind. And he was encouraged. And I believe that Paul had an idea of what was going to happen to him at Rome. Namely, he was going to die. Because he also knew of the evil that dwelled in that city. But God gave Paul another shot of encouragement when the brothers came to meet him. It's like, Paul, don't worry, man. Got you covered. Verse 16. And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. So he's still in Roman custody and guarded by a soldier, but he's allowed to stay alone as an uncondemned Roman citizen. There again, taking advantage of those rights as a Roman citizen. Verse 17, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So he goes in and he goes, right to the Jews. Now you'd think that after all of his failed efforts to reach the Jews, granted he did have some success, but for the most part, the Jews didn't want any part of him. Why would he go back to the Jews? Why would he even bother? Because Paul had a real burden for the Jews. You can read that in Romans 9, 10, and 11. He really loved his nation and he loved his people, and he really wanted to see them receive the truth in Christ no matter what. So he now introduces himself to the local leaders, knowing how rumors spread and how his name was maligned throughout the world by the Jews. He now wants to give them an accurate account of his life and ministry because they're probably like, you're the Paul that they've been talking about. You're the Paul that's been causing all the problems. We've seen that back in Jerusalem. 
but there appears to be no real issues with Paul at this point here in Rome. Verse 18, when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. And that's what the Jews wanted. They wanted to kill Paul. Verse 19, but because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. So this is why I'm here. Been found guilty, not by the Romans, but by the Jews. I didn't like it, and I appealed to Caesar. Funny, under the Jewish law, which was holy and laid out a legal process along with the heart of God for fairness in deciding matters of the law, it's to the Gentile law that Paul must look to for a fair trial. Isn't that ironic? It's what religion does. It takes God's holiness in his beauty, and it just taints it and screws everything up. Verse 20, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak to you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. The hope of Israel is in the Messiah, or the Christ. That's the hope he's talking about, our blessed hope. Verse 21, And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken evil about you. What? Paul's picture wasn't on a wanted dead or alive poster in Rome? Wow, what do you know? Verse 22, But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So the Roman Jews were familiar with the followers of Jesus, and they didn't like it. Everywhere people were speaking against it, namely the Jews. Yeah, we remember Priscilla and Aquila, the Jews from Italy, as the Emperor Claudius commanded all the Jews to leave Rome when Paul met up with them. They were expelled from Rome, likely because of the contention caused by the Jews over the Christians. And when time passed, and there again were the Jews in Rome. They were back. Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. So he's sharing the scriptures with them. Let me tell you about Jesus, our Messiah. Open up to Isaiah, open up to Psalms, open up to Daniel, etc. And all day long he's teaching them. Verse 24, And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Verse 25, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, verse 26, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. It's the same message for the church today. The vast majority of professing Christians Their hearts have grown dull. Their ears can barely hear. You ask someone to talk about the Bible. Hey, let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about Jesus. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, I don't really get into the Bible. You're like, man, your heart's grown dull. The scriptures are where life is. Our society is in dire need of healing. It is sick and getting sicker. And the answer is Jesus. And if we would embrace him, our society would begin to heal. Same thing that's happened all over the world throughout history. When people accept Jesus, their lives change. And I'm not talking about forcibly accepting Jesus. In other words, being compelled to, otherwise you're going to die, that kind of stuff. Talking about when people honestly open up to Jesus, that's when the healing begins. You heal a person, you heal a family, you heal a neighborhood, a community, a city, a state, a country. Verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Okay, brothers, you reject Jesus, I'm going to the Gentiles. They probably didn't appreciate that too much. Verse 29, which is omitted from some Bibles. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. So again, he's protected by Roman soldiers. He's in custody. But 
Rome gets two years of the Apostle Paul. Verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Paul's final hurrah, two years of unhindered teaching. He would then be granted his day before Caesar Nero, who would end up killing him. And about 200 years after the closing of the book of Acts, Eusebius writes about the death of Paul. And he says, It is therefore recorded that Paul was beheaded in Rome itself, and that Peter likewise was crucified under Nero. This account of Peter and Paul is substantiated by the fact that their names are preserved in the cemeteries of that place even to the present day. So there's our church tradition that Paul was beheaded in Rome and that Peter was also martyred under Nero. Now, I don't know if we can prove that, but we do know that Paul was a Roman and he would have been spared the agonizing death of non-Romans and beheading would have certainly been a relatively painless method of execution. But when you look at history and you read stuff about these executioners beheading people, sometimes they were drunk Sometimes they would miss. Sometimes it was absolutely horrifying beyond that what it normally would be. Regardless, Paul was sent to heaven at the hand of Nero. Imagine being a Roman executioner and killing anyone Rome thought was unworthy of life. What would the conversations be like around the dinner table after work? Hey, honey, how was your day? Yeah. So at this point, the book of Acts, it ends abruptly as if there should be more to the story. And the fact is, there is more to the story. The story of the Acts of the Holy Spirit goes on and is still happening. Unlikely people come to Jesus and God uses them as a witness to the world. A few believe while the majority of them, like the Jews at this time, reject the words of God. But for those who believe, those who receive the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts is very encouraging because we see some of the same things happen. To those who don't believe, the book of Acts is just filled with myths. It was a time in the history of the church when special things happened that don't happen anymore. That's a natural way of thinking, not a supernatural way of thinking. These things do happen. I just witnessed these things happen at a worship service a few days ago. We saw some really cool gifts of the Spirit being exercised within the parameters of Scripture. It was very encouraging. And so we have the book of Acts. As it ends, we pick up the story now. It's our turn. Thank you.